Oregon is home to one of the only saltwater lakes in the country, Lake Abert. And twice in the past decade, the Southeast Oregon Lake has all but dried up. The once vibrant landscape turned into an abandoned salt pan. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, investigative reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, Rob Davis, discusses why the state prevented an environmental staffer from continuing research once she started making troubling discoveries. We talked about the lake's ecological benefits, why he decided to look into Lake Abert again, why the lake matters in a broader sense, and how Oregonians should be thinking about its present and future. Here's our conversation. Rob Davis, thanks for your reporting and for coming back on the show. Hey, it's my pleasure. So Rob, you've devoted a significant amount of reporting power through the years to Lake Abert, uh, like many Oregonians probably know little to nothing about. Can you take us there to the first time you visited and just kind of describe what it's like, what it looks like? Yeah, Lake Abert is uh, the only salt lake in Oregon, You know, part of a system of salt lakes throughout the West, Great Salt Lake, uh, Mono Lake in California, that is a really important stop for migratory birds that go there to feed on brine shrimp and flies and they get really fat and then they fly thousands of miles nonstop to South America. I went out there in 2014. I heard from a brine shrimp fisherman, a guy who spent uh, basically his whole career floating on a makeshift raft Hmm. in this really shallow, it's uh, 64 square miles, but it is only a few feet deep. And so he would float out there uh, on the lake, scoop up brine shrimp, and sell them to uh, be used as fish food in uh, you know commercial fish farming. And there was a lot of concern at that time in 2014 because the lake was drying up in- inexplicably. The year had been dry, but not that dry. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at the, the trend, uh, there were uh, scientists who had studied the lake for many, many years who said, there's something going on here. It's concerning. We don't know exactly what's happening, but there's some mystery here that should be unraveled. Um, and uh, Keith Cruz, the brine shrimp fisherman, uh, took me out there and we got a good look at it. You know, it's this very wide open uh, lake down beneath Abert Rim, about two hours east of Klamath Falls. It's near Paisley, north of Valley Falls mm-hmm. um, on, on Highway 395. So, um, you know, it's this really out of the way ecological treasure. And the message at that time was something's going on here. We don't know exactly what's going on, uh, but somebody should figure it out. Yeah, so that was kind of what drew your interest back in 2014. Um, but you revisited the lake um, for an investigative story in the Oregonian and Oregon Live recently. How did that come back on your radar, and why were you interested in the lake now? Well, nothing really changed uh, after that story. Um, <laughs> you know, as as so yeah. often happens when we write stories and we spotlight things. Um, so. 
you know, I, I, I had an interest in, I knew there had been some science done to try to understand kind of what was going on in that system. I knew that it was just something that we should bring forward, see what's going on, where, where do things stand today? So as part of that, I sent a request for records to the Department of Environmental Quality, the state's environmental regulator, you know, in charge of protecting the air, water, and land. And you know, got records back kind of steadily through the year. And I really dug into them, you know, this fall and saw that after our story ran in 2014, mm-hmm. it piqued the department's interest. It piqued uh, the interest of then Governor John Kitzhaber. And the department started doing work to figure out, okay, well, what's going on out there? What's what's happening to this lake that dried up? And a natural resources specialist named Amy Simpson went v- really deep on Lake Abert, tried to model, you know, where, you know, this, this water that ends up in the lake, it starts as snowfall in uh, the Fremont Wanima uh, National Forest, comes down through the Shewakan River, passes through Paisley, past you know huge ranches uh simplot has the zx ranch out there it's one of the biggest cattle ranches in the nation um and so she started to unwind this whole thing one thing that she found that was really key was that the years leading up to 2014 had not been as dry uh as a period in the late 80s and early 90s where the lake it was you know drier five-year spell but the lake retained its water. And in the years leading up to 2014, there was a not quite as dry spell and the lakes disappeared, Mm -hmm. you know, turned into a desiccated salt flat that, you know, drove away hundreds of thousands of migratory birds that would have stopped there. And she raised concerns about it in the department. The department starts working on it, trying to figure things out. Okay, what can we do? What's going on? And one of the culprits that she put her finger on was a reservoir and dam that the state helped subsidize the creation of in 1994. Um, it was a dam and reservoir on the Rivers End Ranch. So when when you're going through a reporting process like this and you're talking about getting these records and and you get a reveal like the one you just described, uh, what goes through your mind? And then how do you go about reporting the story from there? Well, there was kind of a flurry of activity in 2014 and 2015 that I could see through emails that the department released. And then everything stopped. And from late 2015 to now, the department didn't say anything about Lake Abert. Last summer, the lake went dry again. It uh, bacteria bloom, you know, turned the surface of the lake blood red as it dried up. Um, you know, like this this wound kind of cut into the desert landscape out there, and so it was, you know surprising that they had started down the path had tried to figure out what they could do and then just you know pulled the plug so i mean i knew then that i needed to talk to the person who had been working on it at the department she had left um and you know what she told me was that she had 
been told by her manager to stop all work on anything to do with Leigh Gabert. And she asked why, and he said it was a managerial decision. Uh, and that was it. And she was in the process of drafting comments to submit on behalf of the department to the State Department of Water Resources, which is in charge of administering water rights throughout the state. And she was saying, you know, this reservoir, this dam on the Rivers End Ranch, which had some permit renewals pending at the water agency, should release water in certain conditions uh, when Lake Abert, you know, is running super dry. They were the same conditions DEQ had in place in the 90s, you know, but then the State Department of Fish and Wildlife were going to go through um, some uh, alphabet soup of state agencies here. The State Department of Fish and Wildlife, <laughs> U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Ducks Unlimited helped to build this dam and reservoir trying to recreate some wetlands habitat that existed ages ago. And in the rush to build this private reservoir in the 90s, they inundated uh, tribal burial ground. The landowner used dirt from the burial ground to build the dam. Um, member of a tribe was out uh, visiting the dam uh, shortly after it was built and saw human bones sticking out of the dam. And when that happened, there was a scattering of the alphabet soup of agencies. They disavowed any participation in the project. Everybody got sued. You know, the irony is that the, the then landowner who built this dam was able to operate the dam under far less restrictive conditions than he would have had if he hadn't built the dam with bones from a burial ground, with dirt from a burial ground. And so she pushed, she was going to push the Department of Water Resources mm -hmm. to reinstate those provisions and was told, no, stop, stop working. So putting on your investigative reporter cap, Rob, I mean, you, you've devoted a lot of time and energy into really important projects that show how much Oregon may publicly talk about its green reputation um, and um, actually behind closed doors, it's a different story. So, I mean, what clicks in your brain when you are putting all these pieces together? Um, and what do you think it says about that broader question about what Oregon is actually in terms of its policies? One, there is a dichotomy in the state. Uh, east of the Cascades, environmental enforcement um, does not carry the same weight. Environmental regulation does not carry the same weight that it does uh, west of the Cascades. And, and that is well documented through the way the DEQ has acted for years and years and years. More broadly than that, the Department of Environmental Quality and environmental regulation in this state in general uh, is, uh, don't want to overstate it too much, it has been something of a joke for decades. and. You know, the Department of Environmental Quality, which is supposed to be protecting people and prioritizing, you know, the enforcement of our clean air and clean water laws, has been underfunded by the legislature, has been stepped on by the legislature, has been attacked by the legislature uh, again and again and again and again. And the result of that has been a very timid regulator um, that has 
for years been afraid to uh, step up to the plate when it comes to solving any kind of environmental problem that exists, no matter where it is, uh, and no matter who it affects, and no matter how many people are hurt, no matter how many animals are hurt, whatever it is. And, you know, it, it is an agency that for years had its number one priority as, you know, uh, bad, good, or excellence in customer service with the polluters that it regulates. This is sort of just one more example in a long, long laundry list of things that the department has shied away from. Even now, the department, which has been more aggressive uh, under uh, Governor Brown and uh, the direction of Richard Whitman as its director, mm -hmm. even now there are steps that the department could take that it has not committed to when it comes to Lake Abert. And that is things like finishing and bringing forward the work that Amy Simpson abandoned or was forced to abandon in 2015, setting pollution standards for Lake Abert. You know, they, they have basically said that this is a water rights issue and they have no uh, regulatory interface with water rights issues. There are other things that DEQ could do um, that they've just not committed to, not acknowledged, um, and and so you know that's 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 one of three agencies, of course, that have a nexus with this issue. You know, you asked kind of what I wanted to know. I I, I spent the time reporting on this, trying to understand who was pulling the levers that was right. enabling this to you know be ignored by the state government and the the best that i could come up with was just that you know odf and w which gets a third of its budget from hunting and fishing licenses does not want to see anything change when it comes to the rivers and reservoir there are red band trout that attract fishermen to um you know, the Shewakan River that attract people to that area. ODFW is absolutely dependent on folks buying fishing licenses to be able to continue as a solvent agency. It has had serious financial struggles. And when the reservoir and dam that ODFW helped subsidize the creation of, you know, was identified as a culprit responsible for withholding billions of gallons of water from Lake Abert, you know, a death blow in dry years. Um, you know, that's not something that that agency wanted to own up to. And, you know, even now, ODFW denies that there is any impact from that reservoir on the lake. The rationale there, um, I will politely say, is very thin. Uh, you know, they dammed up the end of the river that feeds Lake Abert. It now withholds water from the lake for months at a time. Right. Uh, it was supposed to release water to the lake because the lake needs water to thrive. And ODFW says, well, but the reservoir is small. So, you know, if you took all the water that was in the reservoir and you put it in the lake, it would all evaporate very quickly. And don't you know there's a drought out there? <laughs> well, sure. 
there is a drought and the reservoir is smaller than the lake, but the reservoir withholds water from the lake over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, you know, Amy Simpson at DQ internally said she had major concerns about ODFW's analysis that had drawn that conclusion. I talked to uh, scientists who said that is incorrect. If you build reservoirs, you lose water. You know, this reservoir, this dam, removing it is not going to magically fix Lake Ebert, but it would help. Releasing water from it would not magically fix Lake Ebert, but it would help. Uh, and so, you know, there is a real question going forward about how the State Department of Water Resources will interface with the permitting around it. We also don't know, Rob, how, where the rest of the water in the Shuacan River goes, right? We don't know how much ranchers um, or other irrigators upstream from from the lake are, are taking, right? We don't track that. We We know that they have the right to withdraw more water than goes into the river each year, but how much they actually pull out. Mm -hmm. Correct. We have no idea. Uh, you know, this is, uh, an issue that you've covered, uh, that Kelly house covered for us, uh, you know, expertly in 2015, 2016, the series draining Oregon, you know, uh, groundwater levels around Lake Abert have dropped an estimated 20 feet. Um, because as climate, clips the amount of precipitation that is you know getting into the river and getting to the lake and as the area dries up because it's getting warmer you know there have been wells dug to tap groundwater uh, in the area to irrigate crops how much is pulled out we don't know how much is pulled out of the river by everybody along the way unless somebody complains uh you know that they are not getting their allotment the state doesn't bother to look. Now, there has been uh, an effort to spend, you know, uh, several hundred million dollars from the legislature in the last session to begin to study some of these problems across the state. You know, the Harney Basin uh, is, you know, one that has well-documented issues, you know, groundwater decline and all this kind of stuff. But what that means for Lake Gabert, what that means for the Shewakan River, you know, is kind of anybody's best guess. You know, the Water Resources Department has some things that they could do. Um, you know, they said they were evaluating them uh, to me, and you know, they are very likely years away from you know even beginning to get some basic science uh, around that area. I mean, they don't even have a functional gauge in Lake Abert to know when it goes dry. It's left to volunteers you know, who go over there on a monthly basis wow. to figure out whether there's water in the lake or not. So if you, you know, if you want to know if there's water in one of Oregon's vital uh, lakes, that's really important for migratory birds, you know, you need to call a retired biologist who lives in Klamath Falls, who has the time to go over there and not the state agency that's in charge of, you know, monitoring water use and uh, water rights in the state. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more with Rob Davis, investigative reporter for The Oregonian in Oregon Live.
So Rob, you, you mentioned, um, the, some of the ecological benefits of this lake and just the, the fact it's on the flyaway. Um, I'm wondering what do other states that have saltwater lakes like Lake Abert do? How do they regulate them? What are they doing that we're not doing? Yeah. You know, I talked to a law professor at, at Lewis and Clark, uh, Michael Blum, who has advocated to treat a place like Lake Abert as a public trust, as a public resource. Lake Abert has no right to the water that winds up in it. It's a lake, but it doesn't have the right to be one, <laughs> um, which is sort of baffling, but it's just the way that the world works in the West. Michael's point to me was that if Lake Abert were a few miles south in California, you know, this would not be happening. Uh, Mono Lake, east of Yosemite, uh, mm-hmm. tapped by uh, Los Angeles as a water source. You know, LA started draining the water from the lake. The lake started dropping, you know, same issue that you have at Abert. And uh, there's lawsuit, you know, a big, you know, save Mono Lake campaign um, because, you know, it's, I think everybody knows Mono Lake. Lots of people go to Yosemite. There are not a lot of things that attract people to drive by Lake Abert. Maybe they have passed by it, but you know, there people don't go hunting there because you can't shoot migratory birds. People don't go fishing there because you can't catch anything. Right. Um and because of the because of the salt, right? I mean there's right. there's no yeah. yeah. There there are Final tiny shrimp on. and tiny flies, um, <laughs> which are great for birds and not for people. Um, and so at Mono Lake, there's a lawsuit that uh, basically ruled that the lake has a right to water, that it is a public trust. And the result of that, after you know years of litigation and years, you know, this is a 10-year-long-plus effort is a management plan for the lake that allows LA to take water in certain amounts, depending on how much water is in the lake. And if the lake is really full, LA can take more. And if the lake is really empty, they have to take a lot less. That has not fixed that lake. It still has, you know, all, all of these lake systems, all of these saltwater lake systems throughout the West are in peril. Uh, you know, uh, the Great Salt Lake in Utah is no different. There was a plan put in place. There's not the same legal precedent in Oregon that would allow that kind of thing to happen here. What's been the reaction and impact from uh, your most recent story since it published? Lawmakers in both the House and Senate uh, have told me that they want to hold hearings uh, to learn more in the coming legislative session, which starts on February 1st. That will happen toward the end of the session after bills have moved and they have some some uh, you know room to um, breathe. So that's one thing. Um, you know, I've asked the governor multiple times uh, whether this is something that she is concerned about or intends to do anything about it. Her spokesperson told me, you know, that it's being handled at the agency level and that she has no comment. I asked after our story ran. Uh, they didn't acknowledge my inquiry, so they're sort of nowhere on this, or they're leaving it to um, you know agencies that have either um, you know helped to kill Lake Abert 
or that have kind of idly stood by and watched as it has dried up without really doing anything. And so that's kind of the state of things right now. Uh, we'll see what kind of tough questions lawmakers have. You know, in Congress, there is separately, and there has been for a couple of years, a push to allocate uh, $25 million over a five-year period to the U.S. Geological Survey, kind of science arm of the federal government, to get some science around all of these saltwater ecosystems, saltwater lake ecosystems in the West. Um, you know, this is a bipartisan thing. Romney in Utah is concerned about the Great Salt Lake. It's a huge part of their economy. Uh, Jeff Merkley has, uh, you know, been a co-sponsor of that effort, um, which maybe if Biden's Build Back Better plan gets rescued from the graveyard, you know, can be included in that. We'll see. Um, and so those are sort of the things that are on the horizon with this. You know, I, I asked the State Department of Water Resources where permits for this dam and reservoir are pending and have been pending for years and years and years, um, you know, what their response was to the story. And uh, a week after it ran, they said they were still reviewing it. So, um, you know, it, it was a long story. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe it, maybe it's taking them a long time to, to read it. I don't know. Well, maybe they can pop this podcast, uh, when it hits their exactly. feet on Monday exactly. and, uh, yeah. Um, so you mentioned the, you know, if we want to know what the situation is over there, you got to be either driving on 395 or depending on a retired biologist. Is, is that Ron Larson? That is. He's one person who cares about it. Uh, who else cares about Lake Gaber? Um, I do. Um, the state DEQ says that they're concerned. They're not committing to doing anything about it, but they say that they're concerned. Um, you know, it's, it is interesting, um, you know, where, where Mono Lake was, you know, a bumper sticker campaign that you see, you know, like keep Tahoe blue, save Mono Lake. There is nothing like that for, uh, Lake Abert. It is just off the map. And it has been left to this kind of ragtag band, uh, as I describe them, of misfits, you know, retirees, a hydrologist from Bend, uh, who's, mm -hmm. you know, been trying to unwind this stuff for uh, a decade, you know, scientists here and there who have, you know, these are rare um, and ecologically valuable places that attract a lot of scientific interest that attract a lot of bird watchers and that sort of thing. So it is, um, you know, kind of left to them, um, to, to kind of catalyze action interest, you know, just to document what the levels are. Um, you know, there's, there's potentially some funding that would come through this congressional allocation, to put a gauge in the lake so that you could actually, you know, not rely on the retired biologist to have to drive two hours to figure out what's going on. Um, but, you know, I, I asked W the department of water resources, what, how, how, how much are they going to spend to do that? They don't know. Uh, how much would it cost? How long would it take? They don't know. So that's kind of where they are on this. There's, um, you know, just not been a lot of effort or energy at the state level um, that, you know, that's been put into this, um, you know, even though it has now gone dry twice in eight years after 
you know, not gone dry since the Dust Bowl years of the 1930s. Um, I mean, Rob, have you given any thought to what the situation would be like if Lake Abert were in the Mount Jefferson wilderness or uh, Mount Hood wilderness? I mean, would we have any different view? Would we have those bumper stickers? Would it be more in in the uh, mind's eye of the public or or is it still just kind of a confusing enough situation that, you know, that might not make a difference? I mean, I think that constituencies, I mean, you see this on any issue of environmental concern, constituencies matter. And, you know, when you have folks who are raising a stink, who are putting pressure on by, by virtue of raising that stink, uh, you know, whether it is the polluter next door or the dirty river or the drying up lake, that matters. Um, it doesn't guarantee that, you know, overnight things change, but, you know, it is absolutely essential and has, you know, clearly been shown to matter. Um, and I, I, I don't think that this one is any different. Um, you know, I, I heard from a lot of people uh, after this story ran. There are a lot of people who have driven by it who thought, wow, I wonder what that is. Or yeah, why is there a blood red lake in the middle of, you know, this desert landscape? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that if more people knew about it and if it were, you know, closer to population center, that would potentially change the calculus but it's not and so we're sort of stuck with the world as it is anything else you want to add is there anything i should have asked or you think we kind of hit on everything one kind of big broad takeaway here is that these are the types of conflicts that we are going to see and that we are already seeing in a warming world um you know, where people are left to fight over the last drops of water. And this is one lake, one small example of the types of conflicts that exist in the West, but also around the world, um, you know, as snowpacks shrink, as glaciers, you know, that have fed countries regions for generations melt and it is worth noting that after it went dry in 2014 lake abert filled back up again and i think that that maybe took some of the pressure off of figuring out what was going on out there the drying up again that reminds us that these are the types of issues that are not going away you know after a year that it hit 116 degrees in portland and, you know, blew temperature records out of the water. Like, this is this is our future. Uh, and it's not, we're not on a path for it to be getting better. Uh, and so the types of stories that we write about, you know, climate changed systems like Lake Abrams are going to become more common, which is not to take away from the fact that it is you know, human consumption, you know, this, these crops that are grown out in a very dry place that makes it even worse. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, what happens if we lose like Abert? Does it 
And that kind of hits on that question. Lake Abert can survive a dry year here and there. Uh, you know, the brine shrimp that, um, and, and the flies, the alkali flies that live in it are adapted to, you know, a dry year here and there. They are not adapted to years of dry conditions. And, and it is the threat of that that should, you know, inform decision making going forward. One year in a, in a hundred years that like Abert's dry is not going to lead to ecosystem collapse, but that is a threat. You know, we don't know where the birds go when Lake Abert is dry. What we do know is that across the West, the types of wetlands habitat, the types of places that they stop and feed and get fat before they head to Argentina, you know, and these are things like avocets and willets and Wilson's phalaropes and all these sorts of shorebirds that, that migrate, you know, thousands and thousands of miles across the West the types of habitat that they like are shrinking. Lake Abert is not drying up in a vacuum. And so that is part of the congressional effort, part of the motivation behind the congressional effort to fund some science because, you know, these are just places that have been forgotten scientifically for a long time. Well, thanks so much for putting a spotlight on it and for explaining both the importance of this place just as an entity and and its broader piece in this puzzle. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. It's great talking to you, buddy. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to Rob's stories about Lake Abert and his investigative series on how Oregon politics is polluted by money in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the program. And tell a friend helps spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.